No playing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to D20 Dudes, a tabletop role-playing podcast where the die decides our topic. I'm Dylan. I'm Zach. And this week, you're going to hear a lot of book turning noises because we're going to talk about Band of Blades. And I've read this book once, and that was like a year and a half ago, so I don't remember all of it. I haven't read it all, so cool. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, this is... Um, I haven't gotten a chance to play it or to run it or anything, and I would really like to. Um, there was a, a point like I like six to eight months ago where I was trying to set up a situation where I was going to run a game of this and then things just got kind of bananas with scheduling. So it just kind of didn't happen. But this game looks super fun. It's based on the forged in the dark system, which is what blades in the dark uses, what they pioneered. Um, so immediately you can take kind of a lot of the mechanical stuff just from the blades in the dark system to, to figure out how the game works on like a session to session basis where it's, you got your action ratings. You have so many points in those action ratings and you'll roll a die for every point you have and you just take the highest result and that's your result. Um, your attributes are based on, you know, having at least one pip on all these action ratings that are underneath the attribute. So that first pip will increase the attribute rating of that by one. That kind of thing. You've got the consequences that you can resist. You've got the stress ratings. You've got the wounds and stuff. There's a few more systems in this one uh, because... Unlike a couple of the other Forged in the Dark systems, like, uh, well, actually, there's not a whole lot of officially released ones yet, but, like, I've I've looked a little bit through Scum and Villainy, and Scum and Villainy does look to be very, very similar to Blades in the Dark, just being, like, a setting change. Whereas this is not only a setting change, but they've added in a lot of world building, a lot of new mechanics, and they've even added in, like, this whole segment where, like, the premise is you're an army running away from the Legion of the Undead, and there's this whole segment in each session where you're meant to every player takes or like a leadership role in the army where like one person's the lore master, one person's the general, one person's the quartermaster. And you'll perform kind of these administrative actions to kind of set up the position that your entire army is in after each mission. And then you kind of have to like figure out where you want to go from there. So instead of it just being like blades in the dark where it's like we're out of money. So we're going to go perform this heist to go get some money in band of blades. It can be, well, we're out of food. We also don't have any horses. We also don't um, have that many recruits. We're running really low on forces to actually be able to fight this fight. And maybe we've only got time to actually perform two missions before we have to move on from this region or become overtaken. So then you have to prioritize which one of these missions is going to be most important. Do we need the horses to get things going forward? Do we need the food to make sure that everybody's staying alive and not starving to death? You really have to kind of play that game to figure out where your supplies are at and what most needs to be done and what can be left by the wayside. Because in this particular system, you are always kind of on the back foot. And I think that's super fun about it. So whenever you're in like a given region, and I think you said maybe you only have time for two missions, uh, are all missions created equal, or like is there something that like increases or decreases the difficulty, like you know based on the region or some other like randomly generated or decided factor? Uh, so this game does still have like the clocks that Blades in the Dark had, where it's like here's however many pips towards this particular thing happening, the clock can be at. And depending on what the undead's clocks are at, 
like their the strength of their forces in a given area could be stronger um the particular kinds of undead that can start showing up could be a lot different um it could even be that like some of the big boss undead have started showing up in this region and it's is it going to be worth it to stay here and try and make sure we get the supplies or are we going to risk moving on completely unsupplied just to make sure that we're not having to deal with these um now increased threats but uh i guess i mean it, it's the world of role play so i guess you can kind of make it your own thing but um but those clocks like they're ever present so it doesn't matter if you decide to go get like food or go try to drum up some recruits like the the general difficulty is like the same it's just whatever yeah. kind of theater of the mind stuff you can yeah it's put the more time it. you spend in a region the more dangerous things become uh to a point where eventually the the legion of the undead you're running from just completely overtakes you and then it's game over um, and this this is very interesting in terms of a role-playing game in that there are very, very specific actual win conditions and lose conditions. Like, it's very possible to actually win this game, and then it's done. You finished it. You did the thing. And that can... I think it gives you like a certain resource that you can kind of spend to like move things forward in, in subsequent campaigns. I'm not 100% certain on that because, again, it's been like a year and a half since I read this book. But there definitely is like so the idea is this in the setting that a an army of the undead began to rise and this huge army of the forces of the living and the good and the, the awesomeness um they have what they call the chosen. There are people who are blessed by a certain god. Uh, and the gods are very fickle and intangible beings, but every so often people uh, will just be touched by the grace of this god, and suddenly they have all this godlike power in them because the gods can't manifest themselves physically. And depending on which god has chosen them, they can have these very specific traits. Like one of them is a very capricious kind of like forest trickster. One of them is a very serious kind of paladin-y character. Um, that kind of thing. And so a whole bunch of these chosen started showing up at once. And they said, cool, we're going to use all these to go fight this undead. And what they didn't realize is that this undead lord known as the Cinder King had actually managed to corrupt several previous chosen and steal a bunch of artifacts of these gods and made an army of undead so powerful that all the forces of the living were just completely decimated. I think it says you have something like an army of 10,000 strong whenever this uh, narrative happens. And by the time the game starts, you have less than 100 troops left. And that's all you have to try and survive this huge legion of the undead that's still coming at you as you're trying to make your retreat. Huh, that uh, really puts some crap into perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very dire kind of game um, in that the the undead plague that you face is not just a like a, a physical malady. It's not just, oh, I'm sick now and if I die under this sickness, I become undead. Uh, it, it's also like a corruption of the soul and there's corruption mechanics whereas the characters you play as start becoming more and more corrupted like they start having like these physical mutations that will give them away and you have to balance like is it worth it to keep this person on because we need the manpower or is the fact that they have 17 eyes de too demoralizing to our troops and we have to put them down yeah talk about a micromanager i mean if they can <laughs> see everything it'd be kind of crappy <laughs> um so they they do an interesting thing in the world building of band of blades and that it's not the gm's choice 
all of these things that happen. Like as you're building up the world and you start making characters and stuff, um, the players are meant to be present in every part of the decision-making process. And two of those big decisions come in the form of which one of the chosen are you going to be fighting under and which one of these, these big bad undead are you going to be fighting against? Uh, what are they called? Uh, book noises. Um, they are called the broken. So there are three chosen in the book known as Shrya, the horned one, and Zora. And there are three broken in the book called Blighter, Breaker, and Render. And each of these kind of, they represent a certain aspect of war. And depending on which one of the chosen that you're going to be working under and which one of the um, the broken that you're going to be fighting against is really going to set the tone, like the kind of narrative you're actually going to be telling as part of this story. So in these choices, you can kind of get an idea from your players, like what themes in this am I comfortable with? What themes am I not comfortable with? Um, and you will play games around those particular themes because this is very much meant to be played as like a horror game. And so, so your uh, win condition is kind of based around those choices. Um, so the win condition is always going to be like you got to make it to the edge of the map. So you play in this region called Aldermark, and if you manage to make it um, from the western front of Aldermark next to Carlsberg all the way to Sky Dagger Keep to make your last stand, um, that's how you win the game. If you don't, if all your soldiers die or your morale falls too low and your units break, then you lose. Is the last stand part of the win condition? Like, do you, is just making it to Dagger Keep? Um, there good? is like a last stand mission that you do where it's like, hey, we got to make sure that everyone survives this. But it, once you make it to Sky Dagger Keep, like that's, that's the big, that's the big oof. Once you're there, um, that's like whenever you take all your remaining supplies, you take all your remaining soldiers, and you're you're trying to you're trying to do that big last stand, that last hurrah, to hold everything off so that the soldiers that are remaining can get through, um, and they can start moving along the eastern part of the continent to start like trying to rally another army and trying to push this undead army back again. At any point, do you um, do you interact with the Cinder King like? It you know, do you cross wherever he's at or, or anything like that? I don't believe so. The Cinder King, you were given very, very little detail on him. Like I could probably actually go to that part in the book and read the entire thing about him because it's less than a page. Oh, well, okay. Um, let me find it. 184 is the page the Cinder King is on. Yep. At the other end of the spectrum from common undead troops sits the Cinder King coming from obscurity. Only five years ago, he rose to power quickly so-called because of the smoldering power within him, the fissures in his skin, and the nine-pointed crown of true fire that sits atop his head, the Cinder King is a force that humanity has learned to fear. A few years after the Cinder King appeared, a chosen of the Western Kingdom was created to fight this monstrous power. He was broken and turned against the people of that land, something that had never happened before. The Cinder King conquered, slaughtered, and then raised the dead to fill the ranks of his undead army. When the Cinder King invaded Royan, their single god refused to choose and fight the threat, a testament to the fear the ability to break has inspired in the gods. Nine more chosen have since been called to fight, five of whom were broken. Now the undead armies number in the dozens of thousands and are continually growing. And that's that's everything we know about the Cinder King. 
That's really interesting. I wonder if they plan, I don't know how often uh, they like expand upon these games or if they just kind of like release it and then they move on to the next one. But that's an interesting character because that, that gives you a lot of room to kind of filter him in, I guess, however you want. Uh, probably not directly, but at least as like a presence, you know. Um, mm. And then, I don't know, with like the kind of horror motifs, uh, having something that isn't well known, I think, plays pretty well into that. I wouldn't put it on the level of like cosmic horror, but you know, it's just the unknown. Yeah, and uh, I do like that they give you that kind of agency to kind of make it whatever you want. They, yeah, the system's very cool in so many ways. And then, like, so another thing that's very interesting about this game. You don't make just one character. You make something like a dozen, if not more. Because I believe there is four different squads. I'll actually find the page for this one real quick. There are six squads in Band of Blades. They are the Ember Wolves, the Shattered Lions, the Silver Stags, the Ghost Owls, the Star Vipers, and the Grinning Ravens. Each of them are kind of meant to be like a, a certain kind of like specialist. Uh, but for the most part, um, you you are going to have like like maybe four to six um, soldiers, probably rookies in each squad. And they don't have to be named and in like particular individuals. It's just you're going to have like all these character sheets on the back burner. So like say you send in the Star Vipers to perform an assassination um, and another assassination needs to happen. But the Star Vipers got pretty heavily injured and they haven't had enough time to recover from their wounds. So you may have like the Ghost Owls or um, the Shattered Lions go in and try and take that over instead. So you... You can then kind of, as you're playing these characters, flesh them out a little bit. Um, but the only characters that are going to be like your mainstays are going to be your specialists. And there's a about like a half dozen different specialist roles that have unique abilities, very similar to the playbooks in Blades in the Dark. Um, and you can kind of like attach them to any given squad that's going on a mission so that you will have those abilities available to you while the rest of the players will basically have control of all these rookies and soldiers who are just going to kind of be like the, the grunts and like the feet on the ground that are your uh, general soldiery. So how do you, how do you figure out who is in charge of like creating those characters? Is it, just, I mean, I, I figure it's like a group effort, but I mean, is it like designed in such a way that it's like you hand one of these like legions off to a person to handle, or is it just like you have a big session zero and everybody just does it all at once? I figured that would just kind of be like case by case. Like I, I actually think the idea of like saying like, Hey, um, you have the grinning Ravens make six character sheets and they don't need to be fleshed out. Just make sure they have stats. Could be an easy way to do that. And then, like, you just put that on top of, like, making your specialist who is going to be your your big, important kind of dude, the guy that you're interested in playing and, like, super invested in. Um, could be an easy so, way to do it. You could also just have, like, the GM make just a ton of character sheets of just kind of some randomly filled out sheets that just kind of get assigned as needed. Yeah, However... That, that's... Can you... um. Whenever you like deploy a unit like that, um, is it 
specifically like the star vipers and and you can't like mix and match so like uh, like a choice that you could have is we're going to stat this entire legion out in such a way that they're very good at one particular thing uh and whenever you send them out that's all you can do you can't bring anybody in from like a different one of these legions and so like your choice is to either like specialize them or like have like a diverse uh unit so that they can like do multiple things so i believe they're meant to be specialized so uh here it says the ember wolves are an assault team uh the shattered lions are a forward team the silver stags are the rear guard the recon team is the ghost owls. A scout team is the star vipers and the supply team is the grinning ravens. So it'd be like, okay. depending on what kind of mission you're going to do, um, would inform which particular squad you're going to be sending out. And then like, if you anticipate like we're going to go get supplies, but we're going to try and raid this castle castle. So maybe bring the demolitions expert. Um, you can have them, you know, bring in the specialist. That is your, player's favorite demo man and in that way it's meant to be like no character sheet belongs to any one player it's meant to be like the group plays everybody so it could be like during this game um i'm gonna play hugo bonds the demolitionist because i made this character and he was my session one demolitionist guy um and then session two you're sending out the silver stacks to kind of guard your retreat as you run away um and Hugo comes along, but maybe now the player to the left is playing Hugo while this person is handling these two character sheets. Okay, that's really cool. That's like, uh, it kind of has some um, like co-op real-time strategy. Like, if you were to play, I think StarCraft has co-op now. Um, but if you were to play like one of those games, but in like a tabletop setting, which is really cool. Yeah, I do like it. Uh, and it does give you like the option of like, investing as much into a character as you want. And I've seen like a lot of people just be like, no, they're all just nameless, faceless grunts because a lot of these characters are just there to die. <laughs> like it, it's a hard war. It's a, it's a struggle against these undead and you're probably going to lose some characters. If not to just outright death, then to things like corruption or like insanity. And so you're kind of meant to have these moments where like, you have to weigh, um, like maybe I want to send this soldier we've had for the past three sessions who's been doing really well, but we're not going to make it out of this mission. Maybe I have this soldier perform like this heroic last stand and do all these cool things, but he sacrifices himself in the process. And you have actions to do things like that, but then you also have to weigh like every soldier that dies is a significant morale drop. And as morale drops, things begin getting harder and harder. So you have to weigh it back and forth. Is it worth it? to sacrifice this character to succeed in this particular mission if it means that our morale is going to drop and we're not going to be able to easily raise it because we're low on supplies and things like that. So, so I mean, that's really interesting. You know, you're talking about, like, all these things that you can do. But if this is meant to be a game where, uh, you know, no character sheet belongs to one character, whenever you um, kind of go into the non-administrative phase i don't know what it's called but um do, are players like explicitly responsible for certain actions so you know do they do they strategize together and then they make a call as a group you know is it majority wins do the individual players like 
uh, they're allowed to take input from other players, but ultimately it's their decision. So if they differ in opinion on what they want to do, um, then they can totally go against what everybody's kind of wanting. Or, yeah, or like, how do you I, I think that? it's more like that. So like if you're in control of a character sheet for a particular mission, I think that for that time being, it's your character. And I think that uh, it will foster to a certain extent, like a, in a given squad and with the specialists and stuff, like people are going to have their favorites. They're going to have these sheets that are basically their characters for that squad and take take advice from your group, obviously. But, you know, at that point in time, it's basically your character and you should be allowed to have the control that you want with it. Yeah, I like I, I just I kind of like the idea of, um, you know, you, you see in movies all the time that the way that they'll kind of create the tension is that uh, they'll have somebody enter the scene and say, like, we're cut off, like we can't communicate with uh, the home base or whatever and so we have to make a call on what we're going to do and so sometimes like they don't have the information that they need and so you know like being able to strategize is really cool and fun but i mean some of the like role-playing aspects of it i think that if it was like a, a majority vote kind of thing then it would take away from some of those moments to where you would say well you know my character or this character wouldn't be able to really uh, communicate with anybody and so i you know i feel like this is in the spirit of what this character would do and so this is how i'm going to play it uh, or you know totally strategize whatever i just you know be i i think if as long as everybody's playing in good faith and you know you don't have somebody who got mad at somebody and like says like i'm gonna play that character for this and then just totally tanks it and does something dumb i mean i'm sure the gm steps in at that point and says like no that's not how we're gonna do that uh but but having it be like uh you can take or not take uh recommendations from your your party is a really interesting dynamic and i think that as long as everybody's like on the same page of like you know we're not going to get overly mad we understand that there are stakes in this game and that it's not in our favor but if we do manage to pull out a win it's going to like feel really good that uh that having it that way will lead to some interesting moments mm -hmm. yeah um it, it very much is the focus on the fiction first and yeah i think as players who are in command of that character like Obviously, you are in control of that character's fiction, but like writing the narrative together is where, where the real fun's going to be. It's a story. It's an activity. So we've we've touched on the fact that there are kind of like these admin mechanics, and I'm going to go over a few of these roles. I'm not going to go over all of them, but just kind of like give an idea of like what the admin is like. So like you'll do these things, um, in between missions, to kind of figure out where you're your army is headed and every player will gain one of these roles that is specific to them in kind of a way that this will be their one specific. It's just for them character. And that's one of these higher up commanders. There are a few that are basically required for the army. And then there's a few that are, if you have the extra players, um, extras things that you can have to kind of maybe smooth things along now that you've got enough players to fill out these particular roles. The first one is the commander. Uh, the commander will decide what route you take to Sky Dagger Keep, uh, select which of the missions are attempted, and use the intelligence of the Legion to make sound strategic decisions. And this one is interesting to me in that instead of like the group making the decision, 
as to what kind of mission they're going to do. This very much sets it up so that whoever is the commander makes they have final say on what is most important and what mission needs to be done right here and right now to smooth things out. Um, obviously, any good commander is going to take advice from his council around him, but I think it's interesting that it is specifically a player that is getting final say on what mission is getting done. Yeah, and, and you know, I figure, like, with those, you probably kind of get everybody to, like, understand what that means. Like, hey, Jeff is going to get final say. You know, does anybody have, like, a problem with that? You know, do we... Does anybody else want to try it? Uh, and, you know, do we feel comfortable doing, like, having them be the commander on this? And so there's probably, uh, you know, some level of consent in allowing that power to be given to somebody. Because, I mean, that that is, that is very powerful. Yep. And uh, they also um, will choose not only, like, the primary mission that you guys are going to be playing, like the ones that you guys will be role-playing out and doing the fiction for, but there's a secondary mission that you basically just do a fortune roll for. Um, and depending on what that fortune roll comes out as, the secondary mission can be like, um, all right, so we're going to go and steal these supplies from the nearby camp that's being overrun, overrun from undead because we're out of food. The secondary mission can be, well, I want to send in these assassins to try and take out this high ranking undead who's controlling all the others. If the fortune rolls good, you manage to do that. Like you don't play that out. That's just the second mission set by the squad that manages to do this thing. Or if, if it's bad, they come back injured or not at all, that kind of thing. Um, and the, the commander gets to choose that as well. And they do that by gaining Intel. Is the fortune roll a, a 50, 50 or does it change depending on, I, like, I think it's like two D six base. And then there's things that can improve or hinder it. Okay. And then, um, all right, so Intel comes from Mission Rewards, has many uses. You can spend Intel to add an engagement die to any mission, including a secondary mission. So, yeah, there's that. In this way, cold hard facts about the undead can create an advantage on the battlefield. As the outcome of secondary missions are entirely determined by engagement roles, this can be an essential tool for the long-term health of the Legion. Before you choose which missions to prioritize, you will ask a number of intel questions based on the amount of intel you hold. Ask one from every list up to the number of intel you have. So you get like all these lists of questions. So like if you have zero or more intel, ask like what's the highest threat we can expect? What are two approaches we could have here on a mission? If you've got one intel or more, you could say what's most useful to bring on this mission? What might be a weakness of an elite we have encountered? Two or more intel could be what's the main weakness of the undead's position on this on this mission? Uh, what is a weakness of an infamous undead we've seen previously? Or if you got three more intel, it could be what's the weakness of a lieutenant we've encountered previously? Or what is a specific broken researching? And as long as you gather intel, you like they have to give you faithful information to these questions as the commander asks them. Okay. Um, next on that list is the marshal. The marshal decides who goes on each mission, who is in charge on those missions, and to detail the rank and file. So while the commander gets to choose, we're going to go on this supply run, the marshal then chooses, well, I'm going to send uh, the Grinning Ravens or the Silver Stags. They choose which squad is going to go and what resources and stuff need to be available for it. Uh, they also will... Um, track morale, uh, 
They will track the squads and the specialists between missions, um, mark losses and wounds and promotions and stuff. They will make the engagement rolls themselves. They ensure any advancements that need to get made, and they work with the other roles to like make the consultations and make sure that you know things are moving in the right direction. As a marshal, it will be your job to appoint one of the specialists to be in charge on a mission, or if there are no specialists on a mission, to appoint one of the soldiers or rookies as the acting corporal. These are people who have been specially trained in how to command, and the Legion accepts them as competent leaders. If the character in charge of the mission dies or is incapacitated, the marshal should be consulted as to the second in command or third. And you don't need to decide this chain of command in advance. Oh, the Legion squads is underneath the marshal page. This is frustrating. <laughs> Amber Wolves, Grinning Raven, Star Viper, Silver Stags, Ghost Owl, Shattered Lions. Yep, that's how you know. Um, they will also make the engagement rolls, uh, and you get um, bonuses to your engagement rolls based on certain things. So, like, are all on the mission Oath Sworn to the Legion? Like, they're not just, like, random mercenaries or alchemists you picked up, then you gain plus one die to the uh, intel roll, or the uh, engagement roll. Do you have... Uh, did the commander spend intel to give you advanced information? You can take one die for that. Is everyone on the mission a specialist or a soldier, not rookies? You take one die for that. Um, do any legionaries distrust or not respect the leadership enough to disobey orders on the battlefield? You take minus one for that. Are required specialists or equipment not on the mission? Take minus one for that. And you choose the mission um, uh, specific ones. So like on an assault mission, you can say, did the quartermaster equip the legionaries with the black shot that they need? That's like the special kind of... Uh, ammunition that's really effective against the undead. And if you did, you take one die for that, that kind of stuff. Uh, they will also track EXP and secondary mission outcomes. And then after that, we have the Quartermaster. You play the Quartermaster if you want to determine the capabilities of the Legion and devise new ways to win the war. The, the Quartermaster's duties are to track and spend supplies, which you gain from supply mission rewards, and you spend supplies for additional campaign actions or to improve a campaign action. You can perform campaign actions with those supplies. You can track and use material and non-Legion personnel. And you work with the other roles, as the other ones do. Um, you will take time to acquire access or assets sorry, and uh, give liberties to your soldiers to make sure they have like the required downtime to like recover and recuperate and maintain their morale. They work on long-term projects and recruit new soldiers. Make sure everyone gets the time they need. Make sure everyone gets the materiel they need. Um, stuff like the black shot, siege weapons, food stores, horses, supply carts, that kind of thing. Next is the lore keeper, which is one of the non-essential roles, but one of the fun ones. You play a lore keeper if you want to speak for the Legion's character and guide its present with tales of the past. The duties of the lore keeper are to track the dead, Make sure you know who lives and who dies. Tell the tales of the Legion. When four new names are added to your list of the dead, tell a tale of the Legion. Answer all questions in the tale asked in your story, and then choose one benefit to the troops from the tale. You keep the annals of history. You set back at camp scenes, where people may be consulting with the marshals and such of that, and you also work with the other roles. This is a very much a fun, like, you're the guy who takes notes. You're, you get to make up stories that the Legion has, like, of their, like, cool conquests they've had in the past. And then your your Legion will gain benefits from, like, really cool tellings of these old tales. Um, there's a few prompts for that, too. Um, like, tell the tale of the Legion's founding. 
Let me tell you a tale of the legions founding by the seventh emperor as recorded 427 years ago in the first annals. You will then answer, who was the first commander, the first legionnaire, the first lore keeper? How or what is that person remembered for? What dangerous threat was the legion formed to face? And then you choose an effect for the legion based on that tale. You can uh, give all specialists one, H one XP to place in any category. Your next set of missions will include a special mission, or you can give plus two morale to the legion for that tale. After that, you got the spy master. Uh, you play the spy master if you want to influence each of the other roles serving a critical part when the timing is right. Your duties will be to dispatch spies, grow your network, and work with other roles. And the spy master is the one that I am most interested in because they get to just do all kinds of crazy shit behind the scenes. The spy masters will literally grow a network of spies and then send these spies out on secret missions to like gain acquisitions behind the scenes, gain specific intel behind the scenes, perform interrogations, um, source like augmented mercenaries and stuff like that. They, they do all this crazy shit as they just gain new spies to go out and do all these ridiculous missions. I like the idea of the spy because I'm thinking of the like Team Fortress 2 spy, but it's just like a guy who puts on an undead mask and like some cologne or like deer pee or something, and then just goes and like hobbles around amongst the undead and then comes back to camp. He's like, Yeah, I found out a ton of stuff. And those are like, I really enjoy that those kinds of things exist where like you, you now have this whole phase outside of performing this mission where you're doing this role play is like, I'm this daring do soldier going on this crazy adventure to, to slay this evil undead jackass who's been hurling cow corpses at us. And then now you have to like sit back and figure out like, what is the actual status of our whole legion? And we go down the list and figure out what all we need to do to make sure that we don't fucking die. Yeah, I mean, like, it sounds like you could really use some spreadsheets, and I love spreadsheets. Like, it sounds like a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> Dwarf Fortress is the only game you could play at work, and your boss sees over your shoulder and would think, damn, my man's Excel sheet is fucked up. <laughs> All right, well, that'll be it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Zach, do you have any final notes or comments, questions, anything like that? Uh... Did you talk about the broken? Like, how do they interact with the story? Um, I can go over the broken real quick. Yeah, give me just a second to find that page. So, more book sounds, guys. The broken, 184. So, there are three broken, uh, which I believe were all at one point chosen. Um, they are Blighter, a warper of flesh and corrupt alchemist, involves themes of body horror and toxic science. Breaker, a storm witch and hex carver, involves themes of tension, uncertainty, and psychological horror. And Render, a smith of armored troops, involves themes of the depersonalization... God, that, that word's hard to say out loud when you're reading it. Depersonalization of war and totalitarianism. Have I mentioned that I'm an idiot and I can't read? That's uh, not being an idiot, that's being illiterate, you dumbass. That's both... Um, so the broken you choose will determine, um, so you actually pick two at the beginning of the game. Um, and they have kind of like their own politics between them. Like, uh, Render thinks Blighter's a piece of shit and Blighter thinks Render's an idiot. So while they're working for the same side, um, there's kind of like internal power struggles between them as well. You'll then choose, uh, abilities for the broken. 
Um, they each will start with one which chooses the kind of elite undead that they can spawn. Um, and the specific broken you choose will also just kind of inform the general types of undead you will start seeing. Uh, for instance, Blighter can create horrors, which are these massive abominations of just like a whole bunch of storch, uh, corpses stitched together. Fucking storch. I got him on my mind. Punch in nitro. Uh, they got line troops of like crows, which are these uh, undead with masks stitched onto their face and like knives and stuff grafted onto their fingers. Uh, you got the rotters, which are just literally rotting corpses. Like they're they're not even a, attempted to be like preserved in any way. Uh, and they have all these alchemical liquids being forced through their veins, which will make them like really difficult to deal with in close combat. Because like if you hit them, you're then sprayed with all these alchemical acids and stuff. And they have, like, lists of unique lieutenants for each one of them. Um, and they each have, like, certain relationships with the different chosen you have as well. So depending on which of the broken you choose uh, will really inform the themes of the game and what kind of enemies you're you're going to be looking at as you fight. I suppose we can go over the chosen really quickly as well, since we did also kind of skip over that. Do you... Uh, do you... Are the broken part of the last stand, or do they just kind of pop up whenever? Um, they can be around as like part of the uh, the general missions that are going around. Like the broken are meant to be like very hard, if not impossible, to kill. Okay, so they're okay. I got gotcha. you. That again kind of factors into the kind of a horror game aspect of it. Like you don't yeah. overcome it; you have to figure out a way to get around it or run the other way. Yeah, like. One of the things this book even talks about is like there's a section called to kill a broken and it actually says like as a GM probably don't let them because once a broken is dead and you've removed that element from the Cinder King's army like you're kind of taking a lot of weapons out of your own armory there. So like if it's something they really want to do like maybe let them do it as a long term project but really make sure they got to work for it. Especially since the Broken actually have the Cinder King's blood in their veins, which makes them just the worst to deal with. You also have the Chosen, which are Shraya, the Horned One, and Zora. Shraya is a warrior chosen by the Bartan Healer Goddess, focused on military actions and strategy. The Horned One is a shape-shifting chosen of the Panyar Forest God, focused on mysterious powers and clever ruses. And Zora is an ancient Zemyadi chosen who tests her followers, focused on mighty deeds and direct assaults. You will choose a favor. Each chosen comes with three options. The GM picks one that they think will be inspiring and interesting on missions. Your, your chosen will start with an ability, which they can advance when you fill up their favor clock by doing missions tied to their favor type. And you choose divine features uh, when you pick two that your chosen manifests. So the interesting thing about the chosen and the broken is that they actually will advance and get stronger as the game progresses much like your own characters do so while like you may get stronger and your troops will get stronger, and you may start feeling like yeah we're doing really good we got all these supplies all of a sudden one of the broken gets a lot stronger and there's a new type of undead on the field and now things are starting to get really rough it's very fun it's very interesting but we're over our time now uh once again zach i will make that all important question do you have any final thoughts or questions you would like to ask i do not all right then I am going to roll that magical d20, and we are going to see what we will talk about next week. 
The Legend of Nitro. The Legend of Nitro. The Legend of Nitro. Uh, 11 is Vason. That's another system that I'm pretty excited to talk about. I actually really liked Vason. I know our group didn't much care for it. Um, but I think that's because of the way the D6s kind of panned out. That didn't go too well for the group. So yeah, I, so I you know I didn't partake in that one, but the the setting was awesome. I mean, like the kind of off the wall stuff, but magical um, can, Sweden. Let's go. <laughs> yep, but you can save the content for next week. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, socials will be down in the description. Twitter.com's at twenty dudes at Twitter. Twitter we depended on how um, uh, Tiny Baby Man Musk affects Twitter. We might be shutting that one down, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Facebook.com at uh, D20 Dudes. And of course, there's a, a Discord link down in the description if you'd like to join us in the Discord. Thank you for listening and bye bye. All right. This has been Raymond Lawrence signing out.